everyone. My name is Russell Perkins. I'm uh, an elected uh, council member of the Royal College of Anaesthetists and a paediatric anaesthetist up here in Manchester. Um, I'm also the clinical content lead for the Royal College of Anaesthetists annual conference Anaesthesia 2021, which is being held next year in May at the Theatre of Dreams, Manchester United's football ground here in Manchester. I'm really excited this afternoon to have with me one of our key speakers, Lauren Oswald. She works at the, the Christie Hospital here in Manchester, and her, she's going to be giving us a talk on the proton beam therapy from an anaesthetist's point of view. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Russell. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes, of course. Um, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, my name is Lauren Oswald, and I am a consultant anaesthetist at the Christie NHS Foundation Trust. My Specialist areas of clinical practice are anaesthesia for adult major oncological surgery and paediatric anaesthesia. So I spend my clinical time split between anaesthetizing adults in the main operating theatre environment and caring for children undergoing radiotherapy. In terms of my medical training, I graduated from Glasgow University Medical School in 2009 and finished my foundation training locally. I then moved to the southeast of England, where I completed my specialist training in anaesthesia based in and around London before joining the Christie team post-CCT in 2018. Thank you, Lauren. Um, can you give us a, uh, some background about the Christie Hospital and the development of the Proton Beam Centre? Yes, um, the Christie Hospital is a specialist cancer centre based in Manchester in the northwest of England and is one of the largest cancer treatment centres in Europe. It has a proud history of pioneering new medical therapies and is regarded as a world leader in research. In terms of developing the Proton Beam Centre, well, patients in the UK have actually received NHS-funded high-energy proton beam therapy since as far back as 2008, but until recently, this has been delivered in centres abroad. The detrimental impact on family life, uh, having to travel abroad for treatment, and the recognition that some of the patients might actually be too unwell to travel the long distances were important considerations when the government conducted a national review into radiotherapy services. So in 2013, a decision was made to invest in building two high energy proton beam therapy centres in the UK, one at the Christian Manchester and one at University College Hospital in London. The proton beam centre at the Christie is a purpose built, state of the art building that's attached to our main hospital. It's a rather remarkable and impressive building, but obviously it wasn't just this that needed developing prior to starting the service here. In terms of non-physical infrastructure, recruiting and training the right staff, setting up governance procedures and robust referral systems for this national service were amongst the many essential activities. The Proton Beam Centre at the Christie opened its doors to treating patients in December of 2018. Shortly after that, in January of 2019, the first patient requiring anaesthetic input for the treatment started. Thank you, Lauren. I have to say I've been working in Manchester for 25 years and I've, I've always um, admired the Christie. I've held it as a, as a centre of excellence. I, I was lucky enough to do some training there and it's, I'm very proud now uh, to be able to deliver some clinical sessions at the hospital. Mm. Which patients benefit from proton beam therapy? Generally speaking, this type of therapy is particularly a benefit for the treatment of cancer in two specific patient groups. Patients who have tumours that are in close proximity to critical organs and in the sensitive developing tissues of paediatric patients. 
So the reason for why this is, is best explained by having a little bit of understanding about how proton radiation actually works. So it's a type of external beam radiation, and through lots of sophisticated machines, what essentially happens is the proton beam is fired at a target area. The physical properties of this proton radiation means that the protons themselves travel in a straight line towards the targeted tissue, releasing some energy along the way. But where the beam is targeted to stop due to a feature called the Bragg peak, the proton's energy is seen to steeply fall off. And the result of this is that it concentrates the radiation delivery to within the targeted tumor without it traveling beyond the site and in doing so effectively treats the tumor whilst reducing radiation damage to nearby healthy tissues. So it's most suited to the two categories I mentioned previously, but I must say that actually it's an evolving therapy and the indications for this treatment are increasing as research emerges more and more worldwide. Why is anesthesia needed and what anesthesia is involved, Lauren? In its entirety, a course of proton beam therapy comprises CT plus minus MR imaging, and this is for treatment planning, formation of a mold, which is to facilitate reproducible setup on a day-by-day -day basis, and then the treatments themselves, which are typically delivered as a series of daily outpatient therapies on Mondays to Fridays over the course of three to seven weeks, depending on the treatment plan. So the imaging, the mold formation, and the treatment itself are all non-painful procedures. Why do you need anesthetic input? Well, it's for one of two reasons, usually. Angiolysis and immobility. So generally speaking, the requirement is limited to children, but it might also be needed in adults, for example, those with movement disorders or severe claustrophobia. For younger children, i.e. aged less of about three years old, general anesthesia is effectively mandatory. But for older children, although it's non-painful, lying still on a hard table for each treatment can be uncomfortable. And depending on the setup and plan, treatment times can vary anywhere from tens of minutes to several hours. So sometimes more, some of our older children need anesthesia too. One of the important considerations is the type of mold that's required, which is determined by the area that's being treated. This holds, as I mentioned before, the area in a fixed position, and the most common type we use is a hard cast that's placed over the head, face, and upper torso. The other type is a, a sort of vac bag. It's like a cast that's molded around the patient's body that they lay in. And for some patients, for example, those who are having whole craniospinal radiation, they actually need both. And what we found, perhaps not unsurprisingly, is that when we have children, albeit older children, who would otherwise be able to tolerate their, their treatment awake, they require an anaesthetic simply due to the need for having a mold that's placed over the face, which can feel a little bit claustrophobic for some patients. In terms of anaesthetic technique, there are two main methods that are used across Europe and the United States of America. All patients have long-term venous access that is cited prior to starting treatment if it's already not in place for chemotherapy. So method one is using a TIVA, i.e. total intravenous anesthesia, spontaneously ventilating technique. This is a propofol infusion that's used to anesthetize the child to a depth where they remain spontaneously ventilating. The airway is not instrumented, but supplemental oxygen might be provided via nasal specs or through a face mask. Method two is providing general anesthesia with the use of laryngeal masks, typically using propofol to induce anesthesia and either a propofol infusion or a volatile agent such as sevoflurane to maintain anesthesia. 
Endotracheal tubes are generally avoided unless absolutely clinically necessary due to the risk of subglottic stenosis with recurrent intubations. And there are a whole number of specific anaesthetic considerations uh, for providing the care to these proton beam patients, which I could talk about in great detail now, but I'll hold out some of the content for May's uh, presentation um, and I'll uh, stop stop talking there. But there's just one thing I wanted to add, and it's quite a unique experience um, in proton beam, Russell. I don't know if you agree. And um, Because the treatment occurs over three to seven weeks, the team really get to know the patient and their family quite well. And it's a level of patient continuity that's really unusual as an anaesthetist and so rewarding. So we consider ourselves really fortunate to have a role supporting these patients through this journey. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, I have to say I agree with you. I think that uh, these children and their families go on an incredible journey when they have their therapy in the proton beam. Um, and they often end their treatment in a different psychological state that they were when they started it. Mm. Um, it's, it, it is, it is, it is um, truly inspirational because these children are having a very difficult um, time of their their short lives and and we're privileged to be able to be part of the, the, mm -hmm. the therapy that's, that's really very effective in, um, in treating their cancers. Mm -hmm. so, so thank you, Lauren. Thank you very much for your, your insight today on your talk for next year. I'm really excited to hear the full-length talk, um, and I look forward to, to seeing and hearing from you at Old Trafford next year. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed that podcast from Russell and Lauren. You can book your place to hear Lauren's full talk at Anesthesia 2021, which is taking place on the 18th to the 21st of May, by visiting rcoa.ac.uk forward slash anesthesia. We're looking forward to seeing you there.